G'day. Welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life, those in life chat music and more. Here we are at Season 2. Season 1, 50 episodes are in the can and are available for you. So, what are we going to do? A brand new year, a brand new slate, a chance to do things a little differently? Well, maybe. We started last season with a huge name, Holly Throsby. And this season, we start off with three huge names. You'll be hearing a conversation with them in just a moment. They'll be our feature guests for the entirety of the episode. But how are you doing? Have you been enjoying the conversations that we've been having? Have you uh, connected via the socials at Radio Notes Podcast? You can find us there. Maybe you have a musician or a person in life you'd like to hear talking about music that we need to know about. Radio Notes at writeme.com. Coming up in the next few weeks, Keenan Box of Augie March will be along. We'll catch up with Abby Tucker. You may remember her from Heartbreak High. And before the month's out, we'll be speaking with a very intriguing, interesting, as well as quite local to where everything is recorded, singer-songwriter who plays the trombone. Radio Notes Discoveries. Energia 5, Jetsamai Energia is the name of the four-track release from an outfit that appear to sing in Polish with electronica industrial beats. They themselves call themselves Hot Chicks, based with Poland rave sounds. These rising stars are sweeping the world internationally and stealing hearts along the way, they claim. They have a video for Mojea La Serico. The translation I did hit up the Google to get on some of it, including My Doll, We Drink Milk Together, Sweet Babes Want Lemonades, Baby Doll, Please Please Milk. Just reminded me of the whimsical nature of the early days of Shona Knife with a bit more of a kick beat to it. They again are called Ingenia 5. You can find them online at ingenia5.bandcamp.com. Just one of the tunes on day one I was having a listening to. I also caught up with a brand new Woods double A side, but I'll have a chat about that a little later in a different episode because I want to talk at length about their music. Someone who's heading down under to Australia for the Sydney Festival is Fantine. On the 25th of December 2019, they released a full-length album called Overdue. Of course, there'll be critics who'll say that it's long overdue, but would I go there? No, I shan't. I will let you know there is a reworking of their hit single Eleven on there. There is the very popular Death at a Restaurant opening the album and Zinc Dirty Little Secret, that's Zinc as in Z-Y-N-C, is a groove soul based funk around if you are clubbing on the down low. Fantine's overdue to 12 tracker and clocks just under 47 minutes. One other quick tune that's come across my desk Charlotte Carpenter's brand new single is called Another Year Just in Time for the Clicking Over of 2020, for which this particular episode finds itself. For now, let's head to our feature guest. Dyson Stringer Chloe span the globe and have recently released their self-titled debut album. Collectively, each have released numerous studio records, 
Working together has provided something unique. The three decided on The Loft in Chicago to record and produce a release of standout songwriting and emotive guitar playing. Dyson from LA, America, Stringer from Toronto, Canada, and Jen Cloer from Melbourne, Australia, ahead of combining their musical powers on stage in Adelaide, Australia for their second show at the Grace Emily, which was also the final date for their extensive national album tour, invited us into the green room. Mia, how has the touring experience been for you? It's been amazing. It's such a joyful, wonderful experience for me. Very different to touring my own solo project. It's something special with sharing the both the challenges and burdens and jobs of touring Australia, as well as the successes and glories of being on stage together. That with two of my closest friends and two of my favourite musical collaborators. So it's been an absolute joy, is the short answer. What we've got here is three very much solid singer-songwriters in their own right, based upon three different places across the globe. How have you found that experience of being based in LA as you are? Well, I love that I get two incredible worlds, really, and I don't really miss out on either. I live and work in the States for a good chunk of the year and get to experience that. I, I was always drawn to the States and it's been sort of a like a musical mecca for me growing up listening to American music but then I get to come back here and there's nothing like returning to the Australian landscape the birds the trees the friends and so it's it's just I feel very blessed and very like a I have a very abundant life right now. Liz you're avoiding minus four degrees at the moment in your hometown how's that all going? I currently don't have any fixed address in Canada. I moved out of my apartment in Toronto, but I have kind of started a particularly professional life there. So I'll be spending the summer here and then going back when the weather starts to get bad here. (laughs) Extremely smart move. And you were at the beach today. You know, we were discussing that South Australia has its own unique, really distinctly unique coastline and it's beautiful. And, you know, the light here is different and I really love south australia and we were staying right on the beach so we just had to open the back door and go walk over the dunes and we were there so yeah it was lovely jen you're back here in south australia in fact this is where the falling clouds all started for you possibly streets away from where that experience happened yeah well i was actually trying to work out what venue it was because it was not i think like circa 1990 91 was there a venue called the old lion I think it could have been there. It's a bit of a dim memory, but I only remember it because it was not an all-ages gig, so there was a high level of danger sneaking in, first and foremost. Adelaide is notorious for letting underage people into venues, though. Um, In fact, friends of mine who lived, like, sort of near Warrnambool said they used to drive to Adelaide to have weekends to get into bars because it was so much easier. So, yeah, I snuck in. I would have been about 16, I think. Uh, snuck in like probably with fake ID I probably had a few West Coast coolers and um, I ran down the front not really knowing anything about the clouds or the falling joys I wasn't a fan as such the clouds were on stage it was loud like really the first time I think I'd heard brutally loud guitars and being played by women no less and unapologetically so 
in my excitement I um, started headbanging but I hit a speaker at the front and knocked myself out momentarily which is why I remember it so keenly. What a huge double bill, mm. both The Clouds and The Falling mm. Joys, because mm. these were bands that were doing the big day out a few years later. Yeah, yeah. So it was right on, the, I think, the cusp of that guitar pop, but like heavy, fuzz-laden guitar pop. That was obviously happening all around the world with bands like The Pixies and The Breeders and then Nirvana a little bit later on. And, you know, it's kind of good to remember that Australia had its own bands that weren't necessarily directly influenced by American bands that were just doing it as well. Mia, what was your first experience with the Falling Joys or the Clouds? I think it speaks to perhaps the erasure of some of our female artists in this country that I didn't know about them until Jen wrote about them. That was my first experience, getting to um, know them through Jen. And then touring with Jodie Phyllis has been an absolute treat she is a consummate pro, an incredible singer and a wonderful person and we just bonded on this tour and we were so lucky to have her play a Falling Joys song with us at the end of the set where she came out, sang lead and we backed her up, sang back up as well. It was just an absolute treat every night. Do you get a sense that there is a bigger book opening up now thanks to the Falling Joys and yourself? There's been so many amazing female artists in every genre of art. In fact, Jodie Phyllis is a visual artist too and has worked very high-profile companies and doing art. And she said that it's the same in the, in the visual art world. It's the same in, in any facet of, of Australian society, that women have been, as Daiso said, kind of erased from the, from the books. And it's also, you know, there's... You see all around the world, you know, kind of field recording starting to surface and it's not like none of this stuff existed. There's been rich veins of culture that have existed and have just been buried and, and haven't, haven't been um, documented. Now, it's much easier for women, for people of colour, for groups that have been, you know, kind of marginalised in the music industry, I can only speak for, for a long time, kind of to get their art out there just because of the nature of the internet and which has been a massive part of it. It's no longer just controlled by kind of 50-plus white men. The songbook is going to continue to open. And, you know, as Jen, we've spoken a lot this tour, which has been a really great, you know, byproduct of what we've been doing is that we've been having really interesting conversations. We get to talk about this stuff, and Jen has said that she's making it her mission to not allow these artists to go down with the sinking ship of white man history, you know what I mean? And, and I, that's been really powerful for me too. And I think, you know, touring with Jody and all these things kind of coming together where we as, as women and as musicians who have been active in this industry for over 15 years are all... Um, there's a feeling of connection and togetherness that, that hasn't happened before, before now. And it's really powerful. I guess for me it's, it's just a natural process of coming up through a very kind of tightly knit music community in Melbourne and on that journey obviously I've been drawn to women and non-binary artists who can show me that you know what's possible and Mia and Liz are you know obviously two artists that I hold in great esteem who have you know released plus five studio albums each and all of the other stuff that they do and I think for me like the whole idea of Dyson's doing a cloa is to 
just come around again and just remind people of the body of work, of how important it is to receive work from artists who are a bit further down the track. I mean, I've loved watching artists like Aldous Harding and Julia Jacqueline and Courtney Barnett and incredible songwriters from this country and, and New Zealand, Aotearoa, really taking off and having these international careers. It's been heartening. But I think it's important to remember that for them, artists like ourselves and many others, had we not been making the music that we've been making kind of behind the Iron Curtain a bit, you know, because of the tyranny of distance, because of the expense of touring overseas, because of the team that you need to have in place in order to have this flourishing international connected career. I feel like a lot of Australian artists, not just women, have been held back and I think it's timely that as that curtain kind of opens that we don't just look at the latest, newest thing. And the main reason I say that is because what people have to say in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s is very different to what people have to say in their late teens into their 20s. And certainly the records that I was writing in my 20s are vastly different to the records that I'm writing in my 40s. And that it's really important that all of those voices are represented. Culture generally adores the young and youth and I think particularly women, I mean maybe this is just true across the board, but I think we come into our own and as we get older and I think we have so much more wisdom and so much more to say that uh, I certainly didn't have in my 20s and you know I certainly got more attention in my 20s but I don't think it was as deserved as it is now. I think I'm a much better songwriter but culture would sort of say well no we were interested in you in in your 20s but now we're less interested just because older women are traditionally have been relegated to the back of culture. I think it's us about, frankly, because we just have so much to say and to bring to culture. How do we go about bucking that particular trend? And maybe more broadly, have you seen examples in your travels? I think that Canada, we, you know, Canada's a, a, a very um, socially, a much, I would say a much more socially aware country on a political level I think they're conscious to kind of keep up with the times and to to represent their constituents all of their constituents as much as they can there's, there's all sorts of things that Canada doesn't do very well same with Australia I'm not, I'm not saying Canada's better than Australia mm-hmm. or whatever but that is something that they have done particularly since Trudeau came in his first term and I know that they, for example, have lots of grant programs that are specifically encouraging women and non-binary artists, engineers, musical entrepreneurs, all of these people, so that they can equal the scale of, you know, of who's working in the music industry, because ultimately it's... And, I, you know, I've said that... I, I often say this, you know, that, that to me it's counterintuitive to discount any group in a society because you just miss out on so much potential wisdom and skill and innovation and and that you know so that that applies to any kind of group that's been systematically ignored and including people over 45 or whatever you know in the music industry particularly women like I, I just it doesn't make any sense to me even on purely on a fiscal political level to marginalize groups in answer to your question 
I don't know what you do. I think that what we do, what Jen, Mia and I do, is that we're, we do what we're doing, which is we continue to play, we continue to have flourishing careers, we continue to make stronger art, we continue to hone our craft, we continue to be visible and available to younger artists, particularly, particularly women and non-binary artists who, who want guidance and advice and want elders. That's what we do as far as how you kind of turn a very old heavy ship around or change its course I don't know and I think all we can do is just continue to have these conversations and to in Australia I think it's particularly important to to respect our artists and try and build a culture that's based on inclusivity and reflect in art the visible art the multicultural society that we have you know if you looked at the ARIA awards for the last kind of say from five years ago for those last 10 years it, like you'd think there were 10 bands in Australia you know and it's not just the ARIA awards I think that we're on the right track I think there's a lot of incredible stuff happening people are starting to make record labels they're starting to spring up out of all parts of the country and just take it into their own hands and represent their communities and that's massive Radio Notes released first as podcast can also be heard on radio worldwide Recording in the loft studio walking in and seeing those guitars I've said quite a lot on stage. I tell the story about um, when we're playing shows about being in tears a few times from tears of joy (laughs) from being in the studio. I've never had this particular set of feelings, really. The Loft is everything that you imagine it's going to be as far as the collection of instruments and how amazing it is. And then, like, just times 100. It's, It's incredible. It's a great space. It made me feel so connected to music and made me feel so happy and felt, I felt like I was in the right place. I felt like I was meant to be doing what I was doing. It was affirming and joyful. It was a treat. I mean, particularly for me working with Tom Schick, who is Wilco's in-house. <laughs> They've got their own fabulous engineer. And he's done all these incredible records before he even came to work for Wilco. But he would just know what you needed before you even realised it. And everything was... There was no waiting around in the studio like is so common while someone sets something up and gets a sound and, you know, that inspiration just slowly dies while you're waiting for something to be ready. It was like, boom. As soon as we wanted to, like, oh, actually, this song needs, like, kind of a fuzzy... like I can't, and pfft, He had it ready to go. He passes a pedal. He'd have an amp and plug in, go. It's already, he's already got his whole chain of microphone and compressor and blah, blah, blah going. And that's why we could make a record, including mixing, in eight days. And it wasn't rushed. It was really easy. My understanding is that you went with 10 or maybe a few more, but just the right amount of songs to go in and record. But I also have an understanding, Mia, that you're the one out of the three who's most excited about album number two. Oh, (laughs) Is that true? I mean, we haven't rated our excitement levels against each other yet, but I'm certainly very excited. It really didn't occur to me until we hit the road with this record because we have been working away, beavering away for months. Is Ego Beaver? Ego Beaver is one of the potential titles of this record, which may, may make it all the way to the next record. I'm not sure. Also, Bury Me in Harmony is another one. But this tour is finally the moment where we've just all that works come together and it's finally like wow 
this is amazing. This is something really special that I think goes well beyond what we did in 2013 with our little EP that was really just three individual songs that we put together on a record versus creating from scratch many of the songs on this record and certainly arranging and producing and recording them as a band and not as individuals. You know, the response to this album and to the show has just suddenly opened up like, well, maybe this has legs beyond this one round you know we just hadn't thought it beyond this round until now and then when we all sort of said well maybe suddenly we're in the car and like hell like this could be yes album number two and whilst a trio glenn who was in the studio as well doing some of the percussion Glennifer Kochi, um, <laughs> who drums for wilco uh, we asked glenn to if he would do it and, and he did and goes without saying that he's an incredible drummer and a lovely, lovely man. Yeah, he was really engaged and had great ideas and was really invested, really wanted to make it as good as we did. And he was a legend, just a dream. How amazing has that connection been to have that working relationship with the Wilco band, so to speak, mm-hmm. so Jeff Tweedy and the rest? Well, I mean, it's been an interesting journey because I guess that relationship really started with Tom Schick when I heard the Tweedy album which Jeff made with his son Spencer and I thought it was a great album but I loved how it sounded and I was like oh who recorded this and did some research and discovered it was Tom Schick and then I kind of looked around a little bit more at the work that he'd done and discovered that Paul Dempsey had in fact made a record a solo album at the loft with Tom Schick and so I got in touch with Paul and said would you have a contact for Tom and he did and he sent it across and I emailed Tom and just said you know I've got these songs ready to be mixed I'd recorded them with Greg Walker Machine Translations Greg at his amazing um, studio in Jumbunner in Gippsland Victoria and Tom you know had a listen was like these songs are great I'd love to mix it and I said well do you want to trial mix and send something across and and then um, yeah probably like a month later myself Greg Walker and Courtney were in a plane heading to Chicago for a week to mix the record together and that's when I first walked into the loft. Courtney had been in there previous on tour because I think that Jeff's a pretty big Courtney Barnett fan but it's interesting like I that connection was actually through Paul Dempsey not through Courtney. When I was in Chicago uh, perhaps a year later playing some shows opening for Kurt Vile and Courtney Barnett I dropped into the loft and and I did a few live songs in the studio with Tom and then when it came to thinking about making this record with two of my friends living in you know the US Canada it just seemed like a no-brainer to make a record in the states where it is sometimes often cheaper and Tom was keen as a bean like he'd been in touch saying can I make your next record and I was like, well, mate, um, slow down. I just like, need to write. I take like five years to write every album, so um, that might be a few years down the track. So I think by the time we kind of got into the studio with Tom, he was pumped. Like he was like so up for it, which was great. There was just that feeling the minute we walked in, Mark Greenberg, who's the Loft studio manager and probably one of Jeff's oldest friends, just looked after us and... It just felt the whole time like there was nothing you could ask for that was a hassle. Like if you wanted something, they'd get it to the studio. If you needed your guitars set up, they'd send them off to be set up. Like it was just this lovely sense of being taken care of. And what I really love about the Wilco crew, 
the people that revolve around that studio and those musicians is that they really do take music on face value and even with the covers record that was done recently yeah you had big name artists like Kurt Vile and Lowe and Kate Le Bon but then you had like loads of other people that no one would have ever heard of. What was one of the favourite guitars you liked when you were in the loft? Oh, there was a really nice old telly. I mean, there were so many. There was like a kind of a Gretsch. There were so many guitars. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't. There was a bass that I particularly fell in love with, a P bass that I wanted to take home, the brown <laughs> P bass. And it wasn't just like, you know, you say, oh, I'd love to have a, like a telly sound on this and Tom would be like, what, do you want like a 60s or a 70s or a, like a 63? It was a candy store. Let's talk about fashion. The suits have been done by Anna Cordell. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about how you first got to meet the wonderful Anna Cordell. Well, that was actually Jen's idea. We had the concept of the three colours, red, green and blue, from some tarot readings that Jennifer did for herself and for me and we kept landing on the three of cups which is in her pack three women in the red green and blue outfits and this card is all about like a a three-way collaboration and in alignment with what we were feeling and and thinking about this project I think we knew early on that we wanted to be a bit more bold than perhaps any of us would in our own solo careers with the imagery and photographs and film clips and things around it and you know and a chance to be a little bit playful I think all of us sometimes it feels a bit heavy and serious in our own careers chance to explore a little bit and so as soon as we had the idea of for suits as the outfit then Jen actually knows quite a few local Melbourne designers and Anna is renowned for her suits in particular so we went to see her and got measured up and crossed our fingers that we would like them and feel good in them and because you know it was all a bit of a new territory for us all to sort of wear a a uniform on stage and and actually it's been this massive blessing because we don't have to think about what we're going to (laughs) wear none of us like thinking about that for going on stage so it's been just fantastic Anna Cordell's debut album out on vinyl is out in February 2020 Where did you first meet Anna? Well, it's a funny thing, actually. I I didn't meet her until our suit fitting. And I I can't even recall whether I had discovered her through music first or through her suit making. It's such a great thing because it's going off. Like, she's making suits for Marlon Williams and Courtney Barnett and, like, international stars. It's really cool because I think in a way she's found a way to be visible and as a result people are probably going to hear about her music as well. And I love it when you see people in music who do other stuff around it and sometimes that thing that they do around it can be how you discover their writing. How comfortable are the suits? Oh, they're really comfortable. They... Generally, like, we always go on stage with the jackets on. Sometimes it's hotter rooms than others. It's so awesome to not have to think about what to wear and it gives you, I don't know, it just ties the show together in a way I didn't anticipate. Yeah, it's really fun. Mia, which AFLW team are you supporting next year? Um, I know you're in America. I know. Well, I think I should go for Essendon to do my Nana proud. Liz? 
Well, I'm a Hawthorne fan, massive Hawthorne fan. Hawthorne don't have a team. They've actually they've applied to have a team for the last couple of years and haven't been successful yet, weirdly. So in lieu of having a Hawthorne team, I'll probably support the Bulldogs until the Hawks get a team going. Jen, what about you? I know kind of zero about <laughs> AFL. I know nothing about w sport. or anything, but um, I'd say the Bulldogs as well because what I do know about the Bulldogs, the Western Bulldogs, is that they were the first a women's team. One of the first, yeah. Right, so I'm going to go with them because they were they were leaders in the field. Dyson, Stringer, Chloe. Their debut, self-titled, is out through Milk Records. They can be found online at DysonStringerChloe.com. Next time, Abby Tucker runs us through themes of their soon-to-be-released LP, Who Do You Really Know? Tucker is known on the screen for McLeod's Daughters and Heartbreak High, as well as numerous movie credits. But at the same time, since the mid-90s, they've been releasing and collaborating in the music world too. Thanks to all three members of Dyson, Stringer, Chloe for joining us. And if you're wondering why the talk about the AFLW, check out the music clip for their cut Believer off their self-titled record that features Lulu Beatty and players from the Northcott Junior team. RadioNotesPodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Murch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia. 